You're listening to the Grim Tidings Podcast. It's the Writer's Pits. I am your host, Rob Matheny. And I am the co-host guy, Philip Overby. And our guest today is a reader and writer of speculative fiction. His fantasy novel, Betrayal's Shadow, book one, The Mahalian Chronicle, was released in April of 2014. And he's also had short fiction published in eFantasy and eSciFi magazine, amongst other anthologies. When not slinging ink, he's slinging books as a bookseller, the co-parent of two fur kids, and a paranormal investigator, all the way from Pretoria, South Africa, the Grim Tidings podcast, welcomes Mr. Dave DeBerg to the show. Thanks for having me, man. <laughs> so we're going to talk fantasy today. You have written a fantasy novel by the title of Betrayal's Shadow, book one, Mahalan Chronicle. Tell us a little bit uh, about that book. Well, it's, uh, you know, it had quite an interesting history. I, I've been playing around with writing uh, probably for about 11 years now, and over the space of about shit, probably around six or seven years, I started playing with fantasy, and I wrote a whole bunch of different scenes with different characters and um, in different locales, and I wasn't getting anything anywhere. I wasn't finishing anything. So eventually, I took a writing course, and that was quite expensive, but it was worth it. And um, I finished while I was with, busy with the writing course. I finished reading um, Dead House Gates by Stephen Erickson. And when I finished that book, I said to myself, no, listen, you can't fuck around anymore. This is this is what I want to do. I want to write um, and finish the writing course. And probably about three or four months after the writing course, I finished writing the book. Um, and the book for me is about, as the title says, it focuses on on betrayal and what kind of far-reaching effects betrayal has. And in the book, I try to explore different kinds of betrayal. And I try not to have a main character in the book, but there's a lot of different characters who swirl in and out of it. For example, the the first guy that you meet, he's a general in in the kingdom's like elite military, and they're an outfit called the Blade Knights. And you know they're very highly trained, and the generals have got a specific sort of like mental and magical link to the king. And through that link, the king can actually possess them and do his magic through them. But this specific general, many decades before when he was young, his family was involved in a sort of like treason kind of thing going against the king. And he's had to work through that throughout his career with, you know, people pointing fingers at him and talking behind his back because his family betrayed the emperor. And he's put in a situation where he's got to decide whether he's going to do something that's, you know, that, that follows his kind of honor system um, that he's always suppressed or just go with, a, with the emperor and what the emperor wants. And um, then you've got the, the, the mistress concubine. She's, she lives in the palace with the emperor. Um, and there's a lot of mystery surrounding their relationship because she, she really has very strong feelings for, well, not the emperor, for the king, but he doesn't reciprocate. And even though he does show that he cares for her, and she discovers things that sort of like turn her against him, but also don't. Um, it's kind of a weird relationship they have. I had one of my readers say that it was one of the the most intense examples of an abusive relationship that she'd ever read in a book. And 
that really pleased me, even though it angered her to say that, um, because that's exactly what I was going for. And yeah, I've got a couple of other characters that, that really like swirl through the book and uh, rub up against each other. And in the first book, I, I try to explore what, what it is that betrayal is for them in their specific situations. You know, against this backdrop of they're a slave-holding society and they have this king that can do incredible magic, so they've got no enemies. Their main capital city doesn't even have walls around it. So these guys are untouchable and it's been like that for about 500 years and suddenly they've got this major threat that they're facing and they sort of don't know what to do. So there's a lot of things that, I'm, that I was exploring in the book and uh, book two pushes it into completely new territory. So, yeah, that's a bit of a bit of the story behind Betrayal Shadow. Very good. So how has the reception been since you released the book back in uh, April of 2014? I've been I've been very, very lucky. Um, I've had a, a couple of of amazing, amazing blurbs um, and, and some very, very cool feedback. Interestingly, the one the one that is that is almost my favorite and the shortest blurb for the book came from Raymond E. Feist. I was lucky enough to be on a panel with him um, in September last year at a big festival here in South Africa called Open Book. And I was on a panel with him and with Mike Carey, and my publisher um, chaired the panel. After Raymond got back to the States, he did another podcast with a with like a South African podcasting group, and they, they were in San Diego for Comic-Con or something similar at that time. And Raymond brought me up in the conversation, and it was quite hilarious because he said, the son of a bitch can write. And when ah. I heard that, I was like, what? Because, I mean, you know, this is, this is Raymond Feist. This, this guy's got, you know, over 30 books published. You know, he got into the industry when all the legends were there. And, you know, he, he talks about Papa George as, you know, the, the crazy guy who kills all, all these characters. And, you know, they sit and they chat over whiskey about killing characters. You know, this is, this is like, this is, this is quite, a, quite a legend. And, you know, Raymond said, no, son of a bitch can write. So that really impressed me. I was, I was a bit intimidated by it, <laughs> to be honest, but it was really cool hearing that. And I've had a couple of other people, uh, Zachary Jernigan, I really enjoy his writing. Um, he's got two books out, No Return and Shower of Stones. His stuff is, I would definitely say, grimdark as well. Um, but he's he's a very, very cool guy. And he's, he's, he's compared my work to the good parts of Stephen Donaldson type of thing. And, you know, other bloggers have, have said that the book is one of the best debuts they've ever read. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool hearing all this stuff, but it's really intimidating, which is probably why I did a few more crazy things in book two because you know i'm not a fan of how can i put it of repetitive storytelling or of something that you you sort of like get an idea of where something's going and you sort of like disappointed when the plot hits that part and you were right um i'm not a fan of that but i've, I've had a very good reception very very lucky with a lot of the reviews i've gotten very very happy so it's it's been a lacquer ride so far it's been really really cool by the way lacquer is Afrikaans slang for anything from good to kick ass. So you might hear that a couple of times. <laughs> and you also had a blurb by Mr. Um, John Gwynn as well, is that right? Yes. Yes, I did. Um, back when we were, the book was basically out, uh, we, we released it on the, the 23rd of, of April last year, which was coincidentally my girlfriend's birthday. So that was a lack of birthday present for her. And uh, we released it and... 
I've been blogging and reviewing books since about 2008. So I've, I've picked up quite the number of email addresses and contacts and all kinds of stuff. Like, like most of the people on my Facebook are in the industry, the other writers or the editors or the agents. And so I've built that up over a couple of years. And when, you know, when the book was ready to be sent out, we, I just emailed a whole bunch of people and I said, listen, I've written this novel. And uh, if you have the time to take a look at it, I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, John got back to us and he gave me that, that amazing, amazing blurb, which was like a, it was like a double whammy for me because Steven Erickson is my, he's my literary hero. The man is just incredible. You know, they, they talk a lot about there's certain writers that are speculative fiction writers or fantasy writers that are sitting on Mount Olympus while the rest are like in the hamlets and villages below. For me, Erickson is He's like way above. He's like sitting on the moon type of thing. He's he's just incredible. So to hear that 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 John thought that my work was similar in ways to Ericsson's work was it just blew me away. And John is an amazing storyteller. I've I haven't read the second book in his in his series yet, but Malice was really, really good. It really impressed me in terms of the sort of like ease that he has with storytelling and how he doesn't bog you down in in world building. Um, He's got a massive cast of characters. He's got really interesting magic going on. When I read his book, I was really, really impressed. And for him to read my book, this, you know, this guy sitting in South Africa was, that was intense and brilliant. And I love the blurb. It's absolutely brilliant. (laughs) So yeah, now the pressure is on for book two, right? (laughs) Definitely, definitely. I had a... I've got a, a a beta reader sitting in Cape Town. She's going through the book for me, and uh, I'm also going through one of her one of her unpublished books. Um, sort of like help each other out that way. And she reached a part in in book two, and she tagged me on Facebook, and she was basically like, "What the fuck?" So <laughs> I, I, it seems it seems I hit my 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 red wedding kind of scene. Which I was really, really happy about, and uh, so yeah, there's there's a couple of things that are happening in book two that are really switching everything up and changing everything up, and um, so I'm I'm really excited for people to read it. It's going to be kick-ass. That's actually something we've talked about before, is especially fantasy having what the fuck moments. Yeah. Um, George Martin is obviously the most well known for having tons and tons of what the fuck moments <laughs> in his. <laughs> writing and that's if if anything the next generation of writers is uh, i hope to see uh, embrace that more so it's good to hear that you know you you're getting your first what the fuck <laughs> reactions <laughs> and uh-huh. hopefully you'll get you'll get a lot of those and and I, I think i think it probably connects to your style being darker would you consider yourself to be like a darker kind of fantasy writer I would, yeah. It's um, you know, I, I was having a conversation with with uh, people last night. We went to a friend of ours' birthday um, that she was having at a at a restaurant close to us, and um, it came up in the conversation that that I was a writer and that I had published work, and I was talking. We were talking about the book. I was t- uh, telling the people at the table about the book, and um, one of the guys said, "Oh, you write fantasy, so it's quite a quite a big thick book." And I said, "No, it's not actually that big and thick because." You see, I I read and I loved The Wheel of Time. It was the first big saga that I read in in in, in epic fantasy, and it was only in my second read through that I discovered how much useless bullshit Robert Jordan brought into the. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, like all the, for example, all the sniffing that the women do, and 
using two paragraphs to describe the the brocaded lace on the clothes that they were wearing and you know things like that aspects like that and when i when i previously um lord of chaos was one of my favorite books in the series um yeah. because it has an absolutely insane climax yeah absolutely. and on my read through on my second read through i struggled my ass off through the book because the entire book is shit boring until you get to the climax and I sort of like, I don't know, I, I didn't do it, I didn't say it to myself consciously, but I must have internalized it. And I thought, you know what, I'm not going to write this. I'm not going to put in so much description that people are going to, you know, want to skip those parts. And, if, you know, there's that, that's one thing about reading fantasies. If you, if you skip a section, you might skip something important that, you know, sort of like that a, that a writer slots in there just to foreshadow something else. And I didn't want to, I didn't want people to skip anything. So, you know, Betrayal Shadow is, it's, it's around 320 pages. It's a quick read, but I do believe it's a more intense read and it's definitely darker. I've had a couple of people, like, for example, I was, I was talking about the one blogger that said that, um, it was uh, one of the characters uh, was an example of a, of, a, of the most abusive relationship she'd ever read about anywhere. And, you know, I did that for a specific purpose. Um, you know, if you, once you read the book, um, you'll understand it better. But, you know, there's things that, that I've grown up with in my life. A lot of my friends in school, I had four, four of my girlfriends, girls that were friends. We didn't have relationships, but... They were they were sexually abused, and I saw what they went through, you know, on like a day to day basis. How they try to hide things, how they try to build themselves up by not even thinking about what happened to them. And when things came all crashing down, you know, a lot of us were there. So there's there's certain things in life that I went through that I thought, you know, what a lot of people go through these kinds of things. A lot of people are witness to these things, and it's something that I want to bring into the book because I've got a character who is quite important. And I believe that characters need to be almost, uh, to a certain degree, destroyed before they can become something else. They need they need a basis from which to work. Um, you know, I'm not a fan of an all-round kick-ass type of person who sort of like becomes more kick-ass. That's it's a bit of a waste for me, and it it rings of untruth. You know, it's a bit fake for me. So I'd rather break down my characters and then build them up again. So yeah, definitely the book is the book is dark. It has a couple of fun pieces in there, some comedy I threw in there. But yeah, generally it's 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 quite an intense story. And um, a lot of people have also said to me that they you know they finish it in like a couple of days because it's a lack of quick read. And prior warning, it does end on a cliffhanger. So yeah, I like my cliffhangers. <laughs> I've been reading it so far. Yeah, I really, really enjoy it. And I think it's definitely a, a book I think a lot of people should check out and spread the word about. So we're definitely going to spread the word about it. And um, w one thing uh, we talked about recently is uh, Grim Dark, which obviously our podcast is called Grim Tidings Podcast. So we have to talk about yeah. grim, grim things. So one thing we were talking about is, do we see Grimdark as more of a trend or is it becoming more of an established subgenre like steampunk or urban fantasy or something like that? Do you see Grimdark kind of sticking around and being legitimized through readers' eyes or publishers' eyes? Or do you kind of see it on a downward trend and darker fiction, darker fantasy anyway, is kind of go going on a downward trajectory as far as popularity? I've I've got a quite a quite an interesting opinion 
when it comes to Grimdark, and that is that I hope it doesn't become established. Um, why I say that is because a lot of genres in speculative fiction, when they when they become an established, yeah, it exists genre, then suddenly there's there's all kinds of rules that people think that they need to stick to to exemplify that genre. For example, in, in Betrayal Shadow, I've got, for want of a better word, one of the things that I've got is is a zombie outbreak. And I've also got a, a very strong science fiction connection in the book. So there was, you know, there was things that I know that fantasy should do most of the time. And I just thought, you know what, I don't need to stick to those rules. And I, I wish more writers would do that. Grimdark is a really, really cool genre because it allows you to explore the world or a world and characters the way that they should be. You know, you, there, there is darkness everywhere, but the more you show the darkness when, when you do have light moments and you've got wonderful moments in the book, those moments are more powerful. So Grimdark for me, I hope it doesn't become an established genre because they would sort of like take something away from it. At the moment, I feel that it's very, it's very fresh. It's very um, almost like random because a lot of people are, are exploring what it can do. And the more they explore, the more they sort of find out. But, you know, there are no rules when it comes to Grimdark. Just tell it the way it is, is basically how I see it. And I don't think it's on a downward trend at all. I think, I think a lot of people will gravitate towards Grimdark without even knowing that it's Grimdark. And once you explain, like, the basic kind of ideas behind Grimdark in conversation, they'll be like, yeah, but I love those kinds of books. I think that's really the case. So um, Grimdark is a, it's a very, very cool, exciting subgenre, which I hope doesn't become established anytime soon, because they would certainly take something away from it. I think, it's, I think it's a very exciting time to be a writer. And if you write anything dark um, and it's considered as grim dark, then that's just a, you know, that's a major plus. It's, it's really cool because you know, it sort of like says that you as a writer, you're not fluffing anything up. You're not joining conventions just because that's the way it's done. Um, so, yeah, fucking grim dark rocks, man. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's lucker. Yeah, I like your approach to to fantasy because that's kind of the same way I think. Um, fantasy should be a genre that should be cracked the fuck open, like as wide open as possible, because there's so much shit you can do with fantasy. So the the fact that you have you know zombies and science fiction elements that's cool to me because I think more fantasy should be embracing the uh, anything goes kind of. Attitude. I mean, as long as you, as long as it makes sense in your world, then the, the, yeah. then I think yeah. that's like a cool idea. That was one one thing that came up in the the panel with Raymond Feist, and we got a we got a kind of question from the audience about the kinds of things that are in fantasy, and that people, you know, a lot of people who don't read fantasy think that these things are like outlandish and strange and that kind of thing. And Raymond brought up a good point, and he said, in fantasy, you can do what the fuck you want to do um you know and raymond's that kind of guy raymond swears raymond drinks whiskey he enjoys himself he doesn't try and um stand behind this kind of persona raymond is who he is and that was it was, it was epic meeting him really really cool and he said you can do whatever the fuck you want to do in fantasy but the one thing you have to remember and it's like what philip has just said is it has to make sense if it doesn't make sense, you leave the you you leave the reader behind. You know, I've read a lot of things um, from writers who are trying, and you know they they they've got a good sort of grasp of of grammar, 
and they've got their own, you know, their own writer's voice is starting to come through, but they're not doing their own thing. There was one guy whose stuff I wrote who basically rewrote Aragon. This was, I picked this up in like, I think the third page of the first chapter and I was, I just put it down. I was like, dude, you, you're not doing your own thing. You know, you, you're regurgitating something else. He could have gone a very interesting direction because the, strangely enough, the tale was about global warming, but here he was re rewriting Aragon. He could have gone in a very interesting and new direction, but I think a lot of beginning writers, a lot of guys who are just getting into it, sort of like trying to exemplify what they love and what their favorite series were and that kind of thing. And they try and do that instead of exploring what it is that they might do, you know, which is, I'm glad I took like about seven or eight years to sort of find out what I wanted to do. You know, it helped. It's sort of like it to help my book to stand apart a little bit. And um, I'm really, you know, I'm really glad I did that. It's, it's difficult. It's insane because you need to be like a voracious reader. So you need to keep up with what's happening in the, in the genre and the, the kind of tropes that people are using and, and that kind of thing. But, you know, it worked out. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And one thing that's been really fun about doing this podcast is that we've had a chance to speak with individuals from all over the globe so far. We've had, say, Peter Newman from London and then uh, Jeremy Zoll from Sydney and uh, folks from across the United States as well. So it's great to speak with you being in South Africa. Uh, that's one, one place that, uh, you know, I, I haven't really studied up on um, much. But uh, could you maybe just give us uh, y your finger on the pulse of the uh, science fiction and fantasy community in South Africa? Is it thriving? Is it growing? What sort of things are going on out there uh, that you think listeners should be aware of? It's in, it's, uh, how can I put this? It's, it's one of the biggest catch 22 situations I think I've ever seen. You know, I'm, I'm a bookseller. I've been a bookseller for around 10 years now. So I've got that kind of insight when it comes to the publishing world. Mm -hmm. And when I started my, my review blog in 2008, I basically had the idea. I was like, okay, I'm going to review books because I started reading blogs and these people were doing really cool things. And one of the, one of the best things about it was getting free books. And I was like, oh shit, let me try this. <laughs> and I started it and I emailed the publishers in South Africa and they'd never heard of it. They were like, okay, explain what you want to do again. And I was like, well, <laughs> you send me free books. I'll read them and I'll post reviews about them. It's sort of like free marketing for you guys. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. And everybody jumped on the bandwagon. And I remember in the first batch of proof copies that I got was Peter V. Brett's The Warded Man. And I got Patrick Rothfuss, The Name of the Wind. And those are like the, the first couple of books that I reviewed. And when I started posting those, those reviews, I started connecting to, to people in the industry overseas. And that started showing me how different our industries were. Um, for example, in the US and the UK, if you've, you've written your novel and you want to get it published, so you're thinking, okay, let's, you do your research um, and you're like, okay, let's see who's publishing the kind of story that I've written. And you come across all these big genre publishers, um, Golans and uh, Tor and Dalray and those kinds of guys. And then you see, but shit, I need an agent. They don't take un unsolicited submissions. In South Africa, there are no agents. There's no agents whatsoever. You as a writer, you submit directly to the editor. So just in that aspect, we were sort of like at a disadvantage. Also, our publishers don't accept speculative fiction submissions. 
which is quite strange. I mean, in my in the store that I work in, I work for a, a bookstore called Exclusive Books, and we are the biggest book selling chain in South Africa. And my store has got the biggest sci-fi and fantasy section in the country, um, and it's constantly in in the in our top sections. So, as an industry in South Africa, we're making a shitload of money from anything that's speculative fiction, you know, across the board. But it's almost as if the publishers here are still in the in the vein of because you know apartheid had a lot to do with it, where a lot of things were deliberately excluded and it was against the law to publish certain things, and I think that kind of old god is still in the publishing industry now, and the people who are working under these people who've been in the industry for a while have sort of grown up into the industry with that kind of perception. You know, we've got in South Africa, for example, if you write a, if your book is a bestseller. You've sold a thousand copies, one thousand copies of your book. Then it's a bestseller, and it sounds insane, but we've got an average of about sixty thousand readers in the whole country. We've got almost fifty million people, but because of apartheid and because of the, a massive uh, section of the population being excluded from education, um, most of our people don't know how to read. So that sixty thousand readers encompasses. Online reading, newspapers, books, blogs, comic strips in newspapers, that encompasses everything there. So as a writer in South Africa, you're already at a major disadvantage because our industry, our publishing industry works different to what it works overseas. And we've got a much smaller pool of people who might actually read our books, which is why a lot of writers in South Africa are either self-publishing or they are publishing with small presses overseas because our guys just don't accept speculative fiction submissions. Um, one of the rules I, I made for myself was that I, didn't, I said to myself, I don't want to be published by a South African publisher because of specifically the limitation in terms of getting my book out there. You know, there's only a certain amount of people who might chance across my book and think, hey, let's give it a read. I wanted to make sure that I had a bigger audience for the book. And when Fox and Raven started, they started as a small indie publisher, small press, but they do publishing the traditional way. Um, so they had an, a period for unsolicited submissions when they were starting out, but they pay advances, they pay royalties, they do things the way the publishers do them, which was a big plus for me because, you know, I want to be sitting and doing this for the rest of my life. So I want to do it the way that people are doing it. I don't want to try and stick with the way that it is in my country because then I'm at, I'm at a disadvantage. But there are hundreds, if not thousands, of of sci-fi fantasy horror writers in South Africa who are really struggling to get their work out there. I mean, I, in my personal circle, I know about 20 or 30 people, all very, very good storytellers, very good writers, and they just they, they struggle to get their work out there. And we, we've, got a, we've got some very, very cool success stories, uh, like Lauren Bukas. She was published first by a small publisher in South Africa called Jakana, and they published Moxieland. And then she sold the rights for Moxieland to Angry Robot. And when... She was with Angry Robot. She brought out her second book, Zoo City, and she was nominated for the Arthur C. Clarke Award. And when that hit, her career just skyrocketed. Um, and she's doing brilliantly. I mean, she's gotten she's getting blurbs from Stephen King now. Um, we've got another writer, Sarah Lotz, is also doing very, very well. 
and she also writes with another South African writer, Louis Greenberg, and they've got this very, very creepy, almost kind of, it's, it's sort of like a series that shows like the very weird, dark, sort of like spliced upside of civilization where, for example, in the first book, there's a mall hidden under a mall and people are just very weird there. There's very weird body modifications going on and they're eating weird food and they worship shopping as if it's a real deity kind of thing. It's, you know, so there's people doing really, really interesting stuff. But because we've got such a small section of, of the population reading um, here in South Africa, and because we do th our industry here does things differently, it's difficult for our guys to get out there and to make themselves known and to make any sort of impact. So it's, it's difficult, but that's part of the challenge. It's, it sort of like forces you to focus more on the writing and uh, more of what you want to do than trying to get your name out. Because you, at, at a certain point, you just stop worrying about how many people are reading your stuff, you know, and where it is in the world. It's a catch-22 because you want people to be able to read your stuff. Um, you just want to be able to give them that chance. But because we come from a country that had something really intense and terrible like apartheid, which limited everything in the country, um, it's sort of like that placed rules in different stratas of, of society. And a lot of people are still trying to sort of like find their way past those rules. And uh, publishing is definitely in South Africa one of the one of the regions where a lot of the old rules are still clinging on. So it's not cool, but it's it's a challenge, like I said. And um, you know, I'm glad I'm part of it. I'm learning a lot from it. It's a, it's an interesting place. <laughs> Very interesting. I wonder, is there any sort of like literacy initiatives or anything taking place in South Africa to uh, increase literacy uh, amongst the population out there? There are. Um, I would bring up a lot of them, but I'm really scared to uh, because we are uh, we're an incredibly corrupt society. Um, everybody is out to make a buck. There's like there's this big thing that's been happening in the news for a couple of months now, where our president. Um, used taxpayer money to build this massive compound and he he used like I think it was something like 250 million rand you know of taxpayers money to build this compound and he you know he did things like he built a swimming pool for safety reasons and he called it a fire pool with the idea that if a fire broke out firefighters could come throw their pumps into the pool and pull water from the pool to kill the fire He's he's done he's done an incredible amount of stupid things and he just gets away with them, um, unfortunately because our our government through and through is is massively corrupt. So every initiative that starts off, you know, it gets a lot of press attention and it's on the news. Then about three months later, you you find out you know the kids who who were supposed to be gaining something from this initiative hadn't haven't received anything. We've got an entire province. Um, Limpopo province, which I'm probably thumb-sucking a little bit, but there's probably about five five to eight million people just in that province. You know, we, we're a small country, but the kids there in the schools, the schools don't have desks or chairs. Very few of the schools have blackboards. They can't lock their doors, and there's no textbooks whatsoever. They don't have any material. And this has been going on for about six or seven years now, where the government has said, no, we'll organize it, we'll organize it, and it doesn't happen. It's sort of like if you, if you start a reading initiative in this country, you are faced with so many problems where, sure, you can get books out to the kids, but the kids can't even read, even though they're in school because they don't have materials in school to 
help them. They've got nothing. In my booksetting life, I've had a teacher drive through from this province and come to our store, and she spent her own money, her own salary, to buy books for the kids. She had to make like a four or five hour drive just to be able to find books to buy for her kids that she could use in school. You know, there are initiatives and there are a lot of people doing very, very good things, but when it gets hijacked, it gets hijacked big time. And most of the time, that's what happens. And then nothing comes of it. And it happens so often um, that people here are really like, they just glaze over it. If they hear if they hear about something like that in the news, they're like, oh, it's just happening again. It's just happening again. So it's it's uh, it's really sad. Um, but I, I'm a big believer in not forcing anybody to do anything. You know, like my, my parents, they, they never sat me down and tried to get me to read books. They just read books in front of me. And I think that if that happens, like we've got a big public transportation system in the country. Um, you know, if more people just sit and read books, more people will be reading books. You know, it makes a lot of people curious. It's like they see somebody's reading, <laughs> you know, just to, to bring in something weird, but somebody's reading a Joan Collins book and the cover's all flashy and stylish and all kinds of things. And, you know, somebody will be interested by that. They'll be like, what are you reading and what's it about? And it's, it's generating that curiosity that we need to do, which is really easy. You know, it doesn't cost a cent. And the more people do that, that'll be a reading initiative on its own. And, you know, that can't be hijacked. Um, it can't be politicized or corrupted in any way. So, yeah, it's a difficult situation. It's really sad, but um, we South Africans are, we love being challenged by something. And, uh, yeah, you know, the normal man in the street really is innovative when it comes to sorting something out and trying to make a difference. We had a guy in, a, in, a, in one of our townships, he built a helicopter from scrap um, because he just, his lifelong dream was he wanted a helicopter and he wanted a <laughs> fly in a helicopter and he literally went around collected scrap and built a helicopter and when this hit the news um the military came out they flew out a helicopter they took him for a ride and that was like his dream and you know there's these people do things here in completely different ways but they sort of like get things done i like the attitude of uh, i want a helicopter mm. so mm. fuck so fuck it i'm gonna make a helicopter <laughs> Is it like in some cultures, you know, people say, you know, I want this and buy it for me, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, some cultures that say I want a helicopter, go buy me a helicopter. But he's like, yeah, you know what? I'll just get some shit and make a helicopter. Yeah. And he, and he, he built his own helicopter in his, in his backyard. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's exactly what you're saying, Philip. It's some people are just like, yeah, you know, you can get some things in, in a lot of, um, in a lot of countries, things are so easy to get that there's no more effort that goes into actually getting something. I mean, we last night, we were just talking about dating sites <laughs> where people are, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you actually had to go out to places and mingle with people um, to try and pick up somebody that you could date. Nowadays, you climb onto a website, you fill out a little profile, and before you know it, you can see who around you is where and what they're interested in. And, you know, everything's too easy. And it really it really pisses me off. It's, it takes out the, the initiative and the, the sort of, like, drive from everything these days. So, you know, I, when I saw the story of this guy who, like, he built his own helicopter, I'm like, holy shit, you know, <laughs> what have I done? I haven't built anything. You know, I want I want a space shuttle, but you know, it'd be a bit more <laughs> difficult for me to build a space shuttle. But you know, this guy this guy built his own helicopter, 
Um, you know, and there's not a lot of people that can say that. So it's it's pretty epic. You know, there's a, I, I love that kind of initiative that happens in this country. It's epic. I like that innovative way of thinking. I think that needs to be integrated, obviously, into writing uh, as well as just having yeah. more in- yeah. innovative fantasy, more people taking a risk and not being afraid of not selling, um, you know. And I, and I think, as you said before, now is a really good time to be a writer because you can reach people that have been looking for these kind of things and haven't known how to find them before. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one thing about Grimdark that I, that I found interesting was I think I knew a lot of people that wanted to read that style of fantasy, but nobody knew what to call it. Stuff like Glenn Cook or Steven Erickson, like they just called it gritty or they called it dark or whatever. But I think now grimdark is a term it's got dual meaning so yes yeah you could say oh i like grimdark and people would be like oh cool i like that you know i like grimdark too or you could say i like grimdark and they go oh do you're are you fucked up in the head or something <laughs> that's so the, there's that's two the thing with grimdark is it's really it encompasses so much i mean like you guys were talking in a previous podcast about grimdark in in science fiction it's there you know it, it can happen it can work and that's what I that's what I love about Grimdark is for me it's sort of it's not like a subgenre it's like an overarching genre it's sort of like Grimdark is sort of like for me at the top and there's a lot of things a lot of subgenres under Grimdark which people would try and put in you know those are, these are like the big genres these are the important ones but Grimdark can slot into any of them it can work in any of them which is which is awesome you know there's there's not a lot of uh, genres that that you can interchange. Um, you can you can take that chance, and you know it could if you do it well, it can work very well. But you know most people don't read as widely as they should. They don't read in different genres, and I believe that if you read in in a lot of different genres, you sort of like pick up like as if you were a sponge what works and what doesn't work in those genres, and. If you sort of like do the thing, you write what you want to write, but you keep in mind what certain genres are capable of and what they can do, you can be like, oh, well, this hasn't been done in this genre, so let's bring this in. Um, and that's what, that's what I think that why Grimdark is so cool is because it encompasses so much. It's, it's not sort of beholden to a specific genre. It's kick-ass. I love it. So Betrayal Shadow, book one, is on Amazon now, so uh, listeners can go pick that up right now. Tell us about the status of book two. When can we look forward to that release? Book two is completed. We're probably going to be starting with, with the official edits anytime now. My beta reader is almost done with her read, and I'm just waiting for the first kind of story discussion email from our publisher. So hopefully we're going to be releasing that. I'm thinking it's it'll be a good bet to see it between, let's say, October and November in, in that kind of time stretch. Um, it should be out around then, yeah. The title, only people in my, in my like very close circle know the title. So the title's being released for the first time on the podcast. Um, the title is Convictions Pain. So, yeah, Convictions Pain will probably be hitting the, the shelves, um, at least in South Africa this year. Um, and we'll definitely be hitting the, the digital shelves this year as well. Excellent. Convictions Pain, then, coming out uh, soon. Looking forward to it, Dave. Awesome. 
we usually like to finish up the uh, podcast by offering our listeners some sort of a creative prompt, uh, some sort of writing prompt, something that can get the creative juices flowing, so to speak. And uh, I think we've definitely had a lot of great things to, that we've brought up during our conversation today. I think we just kind of scratched the surface. So I'm definitely looking forward to, if you would be so inclined, is to come back on the show uh, when, when Convictions oh, Pain is released. Excellent. We'd, we'd be glad to have you on the show. But could you share yeah. Could you share a writing prompt uh, with our listening audience now, something that can uh, help get the creativity going? Uh, one one thing I am, uh, not only as a writer, but as a person, is a, is a people watcher. My girlfriend's sort of used to it. You know, if we go out to a restaurant, then, uh, you know, we, we, we'll be sitting and chatting and having a conversation, and, a lot, and I'll always be scanning the people around me. Um, <laughs> and I do that because... I love trying to suss out what kinds of people are sitting in that place. Um, you know, what kind of what kinds of stories are sitting right next to me. And I've had a lot of ideas from just walking through a mall, looking at people. Um, you know, like the strange kind of way that people, some people dress, or their hairstyles, or the expressions on their faces, that kind of thing. So. It's, uh, I think, one very cool thing for, for any kind of writer to do is, is be observant. And once you're observant and you see what's happening around you, the creativity, like, starts. It, it, it actually kicks your ass. You, you sort of, like, you sit there and you think, okay, I've had, like, six ideas today. Can the shit just stop so I can write, please? <laughs> <laughs> so um my my prompt would be look around look what's happening in your world look at people and you'll be amazed at the kind of ideas you're getting and the kind of direction that your thoughts take when you see somebody that's really they look really interesting and you think what the fuck is your story um so yeah that, that's my prompt <laughs> excellent people watching very good well, Dave DeBerg, it's been a thrill and a pleasure to have you on the program, sir. This is the reason why we do the show is to talk to creative, awesome individuals like yourself. So thank you again for, for joining us. Uh, for folks who are listening, where can they find you online? Um, I've got a, uh, a free website. <laughs> I'm building up to, to hosting fees and that kind of thing. Uh, but I've got a free website on Weebly. Um, it's uh, davedeberg.weebly.com. Um, I'm on Facebook as well. I'm on Twitter at Dave S A S F F author, and I'm on Instagram. I tried Elo or Allo. I don't know how you would pronounce that for a while, and it just didn't Hello. do anything for me. I've got a. Uh, I'm on Goodreads as well. So yeah, I'm basically everywhere. Um, if you if you type in my name into Google, you'll come up with uh, quite a selection of places where I am. Um, I know a lot of my Facebook friends say, "Listen, you should really stop posting so much on Facebook because every time I open my Facebook, it's just you, you, you everywhere." I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, sort of like you need to get your name out there, type of thing. So yeah, I'm I'm basically everywhere except you know, like right next to you, kind of thing. <laughs> Raymond Efi says the son of a bitch can write. It's Dave DeBerg from South Africa, man. Thanks so much for coming on to the Writer's Pit. It's been a pleasure. Great pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been epic. And there you have it, our interview with Mr. Dave DeBerg. Man, what a great conversation, Philip. A lot of these interviews, we, we go into it with one expectation and we come away from the conversation completely energized and transformed and get a, a new perspective on writing and the craft. And it was just great to get uh, Dave's perspective on things, talking uh, about South Africa. Definitely a little deeper conversation that we've had on previous shows, but uh, always welcome. 
fantastic conversation. We were glad to have him on the show. Looking forward to uh, Convictions Ping being released, and we will definitely let you folks know. If you want to find Dave online, his last name is spelled DeBurg. It's D-E-B-U-R-G-H. So be sure to uh, look him up online and then go out and buy book one. It's on Amazon Kindle uh, right now. Be sure to go check that out. Yes, definitely cool to have uh, someone from a different country come on the show and talk to us about some different issues in the publishing industry and such. So it's very cool to talk to Dave and Dave is a awesome dude and we're definitely looking forward to having him back on in the future. And uh, the helicopter story, pretty inspiring. So everybody go out and build your helicopter. Quit fucking around. Absolutely. Get some shit done. Get some shit done. Get in the pit and write some shit is what we like to say. And write some shit. (laughs) Sorry. You can check us out on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash The Grim Tidings Podcast. We're on iTunes or Stitcher. You can download us there. Be sure to, to listen and download and leave a review if you feel so inclined. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Grim Dark Fiction. Be sure to follow us, and we will follow you right back. Coming up next week, we've got uh, Holly Heisey on the show. She's going to be discussing Wattpad and book cover design, so it'll be another interesting episode. But thanks so much for listening, and until next time, be sure to stay grim, stay dark, and stay true, and stay awesome, and go build your helicopter. Fucking helicopter. We'll see you next time, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.